read a scripture. And I'm going to say a few, give a few definitions of words. We'll do this up here so you can follow in your notes if you'd like to. I don't want it to be a distraction, but I, I do want to make it available if you want to. We're going to be, it's Amos chapter 5. It's a little bitty book right before the end of the, the Old Testament. It's a prophet named Amos. There's some amazing things in there. He's calling people to righteousness. He's calling people to forgiveness. See, the role of the prophet in the Old Testament was was always pretty simple. They had one message. It was repent. (laughs) Like always, when the prophet came in the Old Testament, his sermon to them was repent. Turn to God. Everyone listen. The Lord's going to give a prophetic word to fire life today. And it's going to sound like the Old Testament prophets where he's going to say, repent, turn, tear down the altars, tear down the high places, return to me. That's what the Lord's saying to us today. And there's a scripture in Amos chapter five, and I'm going to read the message translation because it modernizes uh, the language here. But this is what God says through Amos to the people of God. He didn't say this to the world. Everyone listen. The prophet was sent to the church. The church was sent to the world. The prophet was sent to tell the church to awaken and to be the bride. And the church, as she awakens, goes into all the world. So our message to the world is a little different than the message we get in the church. It's repent. Tear down the high places and the altars. But the word that we take to the world is there's a God who loves you, who's opened his arms to you and opened his heart. All you have to do is say yes to him. Then when they say yes to him, he becomes their shepherd. And he releases the things they need to know in the moment they need to know. He'll say to them, repent. He'll point out stuff that needs to shift and change. But our message as the church is to say, turn to God. We've gotten really focused on trying to be prophets to the world, and the world doesn't care about the prophets. But the prophet came to the people of God. The people of God heard this message, and this is what he said to them. And I want you to to think as if Amos came to us today and said this to us. I can't stand your religious meetings. Wait a second, God. I thought you loved it when we gathered and we did religious things. No, God doesn't love it when we gather and do religious things. If he's not God, he doesn't care if we gather. If he's not given the freedom to say what he wants, to do what he wants, then he doesn't care. We can call it religious, we can call it a conference, we can call it a revival, we can call it whatever we want. But he says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. Here he's saying, I hate your marketing. He's telling the church, not the world, the church, I hate the amount of energy and time that you pour into your marketing, but you don't bow your knees and pray to me. This is what God's saying to the church. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes. I'm tired of your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. Oh my God. 
But if we say we do it for you, is it for you, God? He says, no, I hate your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? This is God's word. This is a prophetic voice that cuts. And then he says, do you know what I really want? Like all that other stuff, I didn't order that. I'm sending it back. I don't want it. I didn't order it. It's not what I asked for. But you know what I really want? I want justice. And then he says, I want oceans of it. And I want fairness. I want rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. And that's God's word to us today. He wants us to bring justice and fairness to the world. The world has different definitions of justice and fairness than God does. And doing all these things on this list will not bring justice to the world. The problems and the solutions that the world has are way advanced beyond what our religious meetings and our noisy ego music and our slick marketing campaigns can't touch what the world's problem is. Can't touch it. It has nothing for them. It's like Jesus said, and if you lose your saltiness, then you're not good for anything. We can't be a church that's lost our saltiness. We have to inject ourselves into the world's conversation. We have to. The world needs the church to preserve it. The world thinks the church is stupid, foolish, ignorant, hillbillies, rednecks, past time, not advanced, ignorant people. That's what the world thinks of the church. But what the world doesn't understand is that we're here to preserve you. We're, we're here to keep you alive. We're here to keep you sane. The church, us, little old us, are here to make sure our, our neighbor's kid doesn't kill himself. Is here to make sure that the marriage doesn't fall apart across the street. We're here to preserve this place that we live in. We've lost our saltiness. First John 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. He says, my dear children, I write these things to you so that you won't sin. Again, a word to the church, not to the world. Here's my point. When someone is lost or they're an orphan, there's one thing they need more than anything. They need to be put in a family. That's it. And when they're put in a family, all the things that they need are fitly supplied to them through the body, through the family. So the world needs to know there's a father, there's a dad, there's a family that they can come into. So they know they're children of God. He says, I write these things to you, church, so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, we continually have a forgiving redeemer who is face to face with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Everyone say the righteous one. I love that. That's his title, one of his names. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, to the church. This is to the church. He's our atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only our sin. What does it say? Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's good news. Here's how we can be sure that we've truly come to know God. 
How do we know if we've come to know God? We obey his commandments. We keep his commands. We don't have slick marketing schemes. We don't do all the stuff we do in the church to make the church relevant to the world. The church doesn't need us to be relevant in their terms of definition. The, the, the world doesn't need the church to be relevant. <laughs> we need to be salty. And the way that happens is we obey his commands. He says, if someone claims, I have come to know God by an experience, yet doesn't keep God's commands, he is a phony and the truth is not in him. But the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys the word of God. What's it say in James? If we're hearers of the word only and not doers of the word, then we have what? Thank you. Deceived ourselves. Here's the deception of the church. We heard that. So we know that. So we're good, right? I heard the Lord's voice. But the Lord would say all through the scripture, today, if you hear my voice, if you hear it, don't harden your heart in rebellion. If you hear what I'm saying, do what I'm telling you to do. And in the, so that's the Old Testament language. If, if you hear the, what the Lord's saying, do what he says, right? If you, hear, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart in rebellion. The New Testament, in, the, in Revelation, he says this. If you have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Do. Get in sync with the Spirit. Do what you hear him say. And he's like, you can't say you've had an experience, an encounter with God, and not obey the word of God. We can be sure that we truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying, I'm intimate with God, but by walking, and we say walking, in the footsteps of Jesus. That's how we know. Jesus says, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, the love you have one for another. And he also says, because you obey my commands. This is how you, the world will know because you do what you say you're going to do. See, <laughs> I'm praying for God to send revival to us. I really, we, how many have heard the term revival your whole life? Revival, revival, you know the term. Like, what do you think of when you hear revival? You get a mental picture, right? Like, you, you typically picture a church service, right? Am I the only one? Like, man, we're having a revival service. Sometimes there's a special guest that's going to come, and it's going to be Al Fuhr, and he's going to say, fire and power. He's going to come, and he's going to bring the fire of God. He's going to lay hands on people. They're going to fall out in the spirit. But Debbie's going to do some laps around the church, screaming and hollering and worshiping. You know, we're going to run out of the church and go down to the Hindu temple and surround it and pray for it in the middle of service. These are things that we think of a revival. People are going to be healed. People are going to be set free and delivered of demons. That's all part of it. But real revival is this right here. This is the perfect definition for revival. If there's a perfect one, this is it. Revival is nothing more or less than a new beginning of obedience to the word of God. Charles Finney, great, great revivalist, said this. In other words, simply put, revival is when I restore my covenant to obey God in everything. If he asked me to do a little thing, I'd do it. If he asked me to do a big thing, I'd do it. That's revival. You know how to have revival in your own personal life? Do what he asks you to do. Instant revival. You're like, what do you mean? That's revival? Yes, that's revival. Because we are synced up. We are walking in his footsteps. And anything is possible in that atmosphere. Amen? Another author, he wrote a book called In the Day of Thy Power. This is like an older book, like right around the turn of the century. His name is Arthur Wallace. 
And he said, revival is divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. And when I heard that, so quick story, uh, I met a revivalist. His name was Winky Prattney. I know it's a funny name, but he's a great revivalist. And, and how many remember, um, my brain just went dead. Uh, what was his name? The Australian guy that I hung out with looked like? Jim. Jim. McMillan. Thank you, Jim McMillan. How many remember Jim McMillan? Anybody else? Yeah, the guy looked like Barney Rubble. So just picture Barney Rubble from the Flintstones, and that's what Jim McMillan looked like, all right? And so he's an Australian, and so um, he's like, he was kind of trying to help steer me because I was one of those wild, young, wild horses that didn't, I had all the energy and didn't have any direction. And so my dad's like, hey, Jim, Jared's your project. He's going he's gonna to hang out with, you're going to hang out with him. He's going to hang out with you. And so he's like, hey, we're going to go on this trip. We're going to drive down. Uh, we're going to go meet this guy named Winky Prattney. I'm like, all right, funny name. I don't know where we're going. We show up at this guy's house. It seems like he's a little bonkers. He's eccentric, but he's a revivalist. And he, he gives me a book that he's writing. He's like, he's in the middle of writing a book. He's got some transcripts. And he's like, here, I'd like for you to read this. I've never met the guy before. And I'm holding his book called The Daniel Files in my hands. And I'm like, this is awesome. And then I got another book of his, and it's, it's about revival. And I read like three or four pages of it, being young, arrogant, wild. I didn't even finish the book. It sat on my shelf. And a few weeks ago, I was clearing out some some boxes of books of mine, and the book came out, and I started reading it. I was like, why didn't I read this? So I started reading it, and this definition, when I saw it, was in that book, and it jumped out. And I started thinking, I thought revival was God intervening in normal, everyday life, practical things, right? Like just showing up. But he's saying that revival is God intervening in the things that we called spiritual, but he wasn't in them. So all the things we read from Amos 5, the religious things that we think we're doing for God, revival is when he jumps into the middle of those things and apprehends them. And that's what I want God to do. It's God revealing himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. I think that's a really good uh, way to describe, describe God. When he shows up, he shows up in power and holiness. And it's, he's awful. The Bible describes him as a terrible God. We don't use the word terrible the way it's always been used. It means he's so amazing and brilliant and wonderful and powerful that when you see him, it strikes fear in your heart for how powerful he is. He's a terrible God. <laughs> One more definition. This book was written in 1909. Revival, their laws and their leaders. It says, to the church, revival means humiliation. That, to me, sounds completely counter to the culture we're in right now. Everything we do right now is to feel better about ourselves. Everything we do, like, I, I just want to feel better about myself. I want to listen to stuff that uplifts me. I, want to, I, I don't want to be condemned. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want negative news. I'm, I, how many you turning the news off? I don't want to hear the negativity. But everything we do in our culture is to insulate ourselves from feeling humiliation which is not a bad thing either. It's, a, it's an old word that we've made only bad, but humiliation means I recognize my need for God. And he says to the church, revival means humiliation. It's a bitter knowledge of our unworthiness and an open, humiliating confession of sin. When was the last time that we confessed our sins to one another? Ooh. What if, we, what if that was our altar call today? Hey, buddy up and confess your sins to each other. We would, 
I'm not answering that altar call. <laughs> who am I to make sure who I'm sitting by? No, the Bible says that it is good for us, that when we confess our sins to one another, it brings health to our bodies. It brings health to the church. It brings revival. I know that's one of the things uh, when, when, when uh, there are men's groups that are going on right now and, and they say that one of the things that makes it so healthy and strong is that we're confessing our sin and being accountable to one another. And there's holiness that comes when we confess our sin to each other. Confess our sin. And we don't do that anymore. James told us, confess your sins one to another. This is the will of God. And he's saying this is what revival is. It's humiliating confession of sin. It's not the easy and glorious thing that we may think it is. We imagine that it fills the pews and reinstates the church with power and authority. But listen to this line. Revival comes to scorch before it heals. Whew. It comes as a fire before it heals. It comes to condemn ministers and people for unfaithful witness for selfish living, for their neglect of the cross, and to call them to daily sacrifice, to an evangelical poverty, to deep daily consecration. That is why revival has ever been unpopular with large numbers of people in the church, because it says nothing to them of the power that they have learned to love. See, revival is a giving away of my power. It's giving away of my authority and saying, God, you have all power and authority and I'm submitted to you. I'm in surrender to you. And that's not a fun thing for church people to do. But he says, church doesn't like revival because it doesn't make them feel powerful. It actually humiliates us, which is actually the best thing for us. It says nothing of ease of life. Oh, life's going to be easy. It says nothing of success. When revival comes, it accuses people of sin. It tells us we're dead. What if, what if every Sunday I got up here, or Shagoon got up here, and when we're preaching, we just say, hey, guys, you're all dead. We're all dead. We're all sinners, and we're dead. It'd probably be really good for us. How am I dead? I thought I was alive. That's a real dangerous place to be. I thought I was okay. I thought I got it all together. How am I actually dead? Who are you to tell me I'm dead? No, we're all dead. I know it's, it's not fun. And it calls the church to awaken, to renounce the world and to follow Christ. Hmm. Last slide. We'll go here. We'll finish. Revival is a recovery to life from death. I mean, want all the dead things to come alive. Man, I want all, every dead thing in me, I want it to come alive and stay alive. I want revival in my family. I want revival in my home. It's a recovery of the activity, uh, a recovery to activity from a state of languor. Um, and that word, I don't even know if I said it right because I've never seen it in my whole life until here. Right. But here's the, the, the definition of it. It's a medical symptom, usually of physical or mental tiredness that does not get better or become resolved with rest or sleep. Does that is anyone else feel that right now? I, I get plenty of sleep and I wake up and I feel more tired than I was yesterday. 
or I get rest. And I'm like, man, I needed more rest. Like it, it, it's not doing like I'm so depleted right now of rest and sleep. I'm weary. That's what this word is. But but Jesus said he would come to revive us. And I'm speaking that over everyone right now, that God is going to restore our sleep and our rest. The weight of the times that we live in are going to be lifted off of you right now. I just re really feel that the, the fatigue, the mental tiredness. It's going to end right now. He's going to give us strategies to be released from that, to be set free from it. You're going to sleep. He gives rest to his saints. Come on. So, God, we say yes to that. I receive it, Lord. Yes. The enemy's tactic for the end times was this, that he would wear out the saints. That's what the word of God says. How, how's the enemy going to fight the church in the end times? He's going to try to wear out the saints. Just wear us out and beat us down. No more. We're coming alive. Revival is a recovery from that state of languor, from fatigue, from all that mental tiredness that comes with the world we live in. It's a recovery from neglect, from being in obscurity, from depression. It's renewed or more active attention to spiritual things. It's a renewing of the mind, of my memory. It's being restored. It's being comforted. It's being awakened, refreshed with joy. Come on. I said last slide, but this is it. This, why don't you stand? We're closing with this. We're going to read this out loud, and then we're going to make an altar before the Lord. We're going to come to him, and we're going to tell him how pitiful we are. It's okay. Look, we've, to we've told the world for 50 years, it's not okay to say we're pitiful, that there's some, that is a weight that we put on the church and we've, we've missed the point. I'm pitiful. I'm pitiful. But when I come to Jesus, he makes me beautiful. Amen. So here's the scripture. Acts 3, verse 19 through 20. He says, why don't you just read it with me? And now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence and he will send you Jesus, the Messiah, the appointed one. Let's do it one more time. And now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed, so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence and he will send you Jesus, the Messiah, the appointed one. Jesus, we say yes to this. So we're going to make an altar right now, right where you're at. If you want to come to the front, you can. We're going to confess our sin to God and we're going to repent and we're going to return to him. All right. And he's going to send refreshing into the place. Right. So go ahead. We're going to make an altar either where you're at or come to the front. <laughs> I heard a statement this week I want to close with, and uh, it was on a podcast from John Eldridge, who, who wrote Wild at Heart. Um, men, listen to the podcast, Wild at Heart, listen to the book. It's great. It'll heal you. Um, he said, uh, any movement toward God does not deplete. It always restores. Regardless of the degree of movement toward him, it will restore you. So if we've been feeling depleted, if you take the opposite of that, then it means I've moved away from him because any movement away from him will deplete me. But any movement towards him will restore me. So we're going to just keep moving towards him, right? We're just going to keep taking steps closer to him. 
And if we're feeling depleted, if we're feeling that mental tiredness that doesn't lift with rest or sleep, God, is this, a, is this a demonic attack against me? Because if it is, you have authority over that snake that's come into your garden. You can kill that snake, get it out of your garden. If it's the weight and the weariness of the times that we live in, God says he has a place of restoration, a place of uh, an oasis in the middle of this desert for us. And so if you start to feel that, man, I'm feeling depleted again. Okay, God, I'm going to move toward you right now because you restore my soul. Come on, how many have felt the Lord do that before? He's restored your soul. Just turning to him. I didn't even do anything great. No grand gestures, no great sacrifice. I just turned to him and like, oh, you restored my soul. You healed me. You lifted the burden. And that's all it takes. Any movement towards God will restore us. And so just remember that as you're going out through, through your day. I'm feeling depleted. I'm going to turn to the Lord. Hmm. Yeah. So God, we come to you. We turn to you today. We move toward you. You've drawn us. We come close. We ask that you would exchange our ashes for your beauty, God. Our death for your resurrecting life, God. Our weakness for your strength, God. Our weariness for your power, your authority, how you don't go weary, God. We ask that you exchange that for ours, God. <laughs> Revive us and we will be revived. Why don't you just pray that to close. Revive me, God, and I will be revived. Revive me, God, and I will be revived. Come on. Thank you. I bless you with revival. I just bless you with revival and being restored, the rest restoring of your soul. I bless you with that.